Last week, we talked about slowing economic growth. This week, we'll share what to do about it. We have some high conviction opportunities in mind for this economic cycle. Here's what matters. Live from New York City, I'm Lauren Goodwin, and this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we bring you the best insights from across the New York Life Investments platform because we believe that by sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of December 19th, 2022. And last week, we covered what a 2023 recession might look like and all the all-weather strategies that could potentially suit any point in the economic cycle. Today, we bring our discussion of the 2023 outlook to a close with some of our most fun and exciting ideas about where investors should consider adding risk as the economic cycle turns. We've talked a lot about the economic cycle, so we should probably identify where we are in it right now, at least according to us. As we discussed last week, we are not yet in recession, which means that we are not yet at the bottom of the economic cycle. Growth is slowing, but we're looking for more meaningful slowdowns in things like corporate earnings and margins, as well as the all-important need for the labor market to cool its jets. The unemployment rate and weekly jobless claims are still at historically low levels. Continuing jobless claims, measuring those ongoing claims of unemployment insurance, ticked up recently, and we'll be keeping an eye on it. Great points, Jay. And the bottom of the economic cycle has big implications for asset allocation, namely because the market is forward-looking and historically bottoms well in advance of the economy itself. That's Julia Herman and Michael Legalbo here on our New York Life Investments multi-asset solutions team, dropping the insights. And just to drive that point home, if you're someone who's gone to cash amid this year's volatility, don't wait for the economy to hit rock bottom before you get back in. By then, it's overwhelmingly likely that the market will be well on its way to recovery already. This is why we're always saying stay invested. But that's another episode, actually an episode we've already done. Wink, wink, go listen. So to put a finer point on add risk before the economic cycle bottoms, we're looking out for two clear shifts in financial markets. First is a sustained peak in inflation. The October and November prints have pointed in this direction, but we still haven't seen a peak form in services, including some of the more sticky components of inflation. To see a durable declining trend there, we'll likely need to see downward adjustments to long-term inflation expectations, as well as labor market slack. That's true. And I personally am specifically worried about non-shelter services creating the upside risk to inflation in the months ahead. Doesn't mean it'll happen, but that's where I see the biggest risk because shelter prices, those should be volatile on the way moving lower over time, but should move lower as mortgage rates, prices, and rents filter through the economy. So instead, it's the non-shelter services, all the things that are juiced up because of the post-pandemic transition, and the things that are most vulnerable to wages, which are still high in the economy. Those are the things that, in my perspective, create upside risk for 2023. Exactly. Only then can step two follow, which is that peak in hawkishness we've been talking about for months. Then we'll feel it's finally time to add risk, and we're here today to tell you how. Before we dive in here, I, I do just want to pause on an important point in the way we frame these ideas. Notice that we're talking about recession in terms of opportunity. In economics, recession is often considered the worst possible outcome, but 
Recessions serve an important purpose, the correction of economic imbalances like excess leverage and unruly inflation in this circumstance. And in investing, those changes can create sometimes once-in-a-lifetime buying opportunities. It can feel counterproductive to take on any risk when the market is so volatile. It's felt like this all year and will likely continue to feel that way for at least some of 2023. But today's environment is creating a really fine needle to thread with positioning, which must be sufficiently risk on to achieve returns that can match inflation, but must also be sufficiently resilient to growth pressures. So this strikes a balance between last week's all-weather strategies we discussed and the riskier additions we'll discuss today. So let's get on that allocation role with one big portfolio pause. So many investment ideas to share today. Our highest conviction ideas here are threefold. When to add duration, high-yield corporate bonds, and municipal bonds, or munis. And the important caveat on each of these is that not all of them are for today. Those all-weather ideas that we shared last week are the strategies that we are utilizing right now. So pay special mind to the signposts we're sharing for these newer ideas on when to consider adding exposure. So let's start with duration. Who wants to take it? I'll take this one. When deciding to add duration, we look at the yield curve. Simply put, yield curve inversion creates little incentive to add interest rate sensitivity by investing further out along the curve. In other words, why lend for 10 years at a lower rate than lending for two years? Now, with the November inflation print and Fed meeting last week, things got a little wonky as investors adjusted expectations. But as we discussed earlier, we're not convinced of a peak in inflation yet. And until then, our duration bet stays on the short side of neutral. Quick side note for some of our newer listeners, when we refer to our duration position, we're doing so relative to the U.S. Aggregate Bond Index, which is a benchmark with a duration of six years. So if we're saying we're short duration, the duration of our portfolio would be less than that of the U.S. Aggregate Bond Index. Also, when we were talking about adding duration, we would typically do so by buying longer dated U.S. Treasury bonds. All right, duration, check. Idea number two takes us further down the risk spectrum and into high yield municipal bonds, an area of credit risk. And I want to take this one. I want to cover it because this is one of the areas that I'm very excited to watch in 2023. High yield corporate bonds, by definition, are below investment grade. But over time, the quality of the high yield benchmark has improved dramatically. And the reason for that is that over the last 10 to 15 years, when interest rates were historically low, many borrowers moved from the high-yield corporate space and into either leveraged loans or the private markets, leaving the remaining high-yield companies on average to be higher quality than in the past cycle. We also saw many high-yield borrowers improve their financial standing due to the support of Fed programs in 2020. We'll come back to that more in a future episode. And so now when economic growth slows and financing costs rise as they are right now, we expect defaults to rise and spreads to widen in all bonds, but especially the riskier ones. But we believe that the relatively higher quality and high yield could prevent a big blowout in default rates and spreads. So we expect any deterioration to be more moderate in this economic cycle than in the last one. Yeah. And the pricing side is attractive as well. So investors are really getting paid for the risk they're taking in high yield. So I can definitely see our team having more risk appetite for this segment in the coming months. All right, high yield check. That takes us to our third investment idea. Julia, why don't you take municipal bonds? So munis have been a really hard pill to swallow for investors in 2022 because the fundamentals didn't match the price action. Municipal balance sheets are actually very healthy, in large part due to tax windfalls and federal support from the pandemic. 
chances of default appear astonishingly low to us, but this fundamental strength has been met with the most severe outflow cycle ever seen in the asset class. And this is often attributed to the dominance of retail investors in the muni space. Retail investors often swing a little bit more with market sentiment, explaining both this year's drawdown and why we expect a strong rebound. I'll jump in here to add that municipal cash flows also offer an inflation resilience story. State and local collections have risen sharply since 2019. In fact, collections were up 29% year over year in Q2 of 2022. Inflation can actually benefit the government and muni bonds for that matter because tax revenues increase as nominal incomes do. In fact, for a 1% increase in inflation, the government often sees more than a 1% increase in revenues because the increase in incomes can push people into higher tax brackets. So as sentiment in the muni market bottoms, we expect healthy credit quality to shine through. All right, municipal bonds, check. These are all super exciting potential opportunities, but it's also worth discussing some of the areas where we're not as excited, where we think may not benefit as much from the economic environment that we expect to unfold over the course of 2023. The first asset class that comes to mind is growth equities. We talked a lot about value equities last week, and growth is often described in opposition to value equity. So Julia, what's the main case you've heard in favor of adding growth equity exposure this year? And how do you feel about it? A lot of investors out there are chomping at the bit to get back into growth and maybe already have. And on some levels, it makes a lot of sense. First, in equity allocations, our fun little catchphrase we like to use is value growth, a little of both. And we see a structural place for growth in a portfolio. Then you pair this with the second angle in favor of growth right now, which is very bearish price action. Growth equities are down a staggering 25% this year. That's total return versus value equities down just 3% when we take the S&P growth and value indexes. So when we want value growth, a little of both, the price action alone may well be caused to rebalance in favor of some growth. It's a compelling case, but for those who are really wanting to dive headlong, we encourage caution on growth equity. Going into 2023, growth equities face the same two sources of pressure that affected them in 2022, making up the difference in valuation that Julia described. And we discussed these a fair bit in past episodes, but at the high level, Michael, maybe you can review those for us. Sure. It's a combination of earnings and valuations issues. First, the earnings outlook is muddled. During the pandemic, many growth companies pulled several years worth of earnings forward as they benefited from stay-at-home and work-from-home trends. Think home exercise and home entertainment goods. We noted in a prior podcast that the majority of negative earnings revisions were from growth companies. Second is the valuation pressure we've seen this year is unlikely to reverse. Just for a little bit of background here, growth companies' valuations have tended to feel particular heat from interest rates moving higher because generally their asset light models have tended to be valued at a multiple of earnings, sales volumes, or future growth potential rather than hard assets. Exactly. And because of that, growth equities may see some relief from a pause in Fed hikes, but this may be limited or short-lived given that we expect the Fed to keep rates in restricted territory over the year. Exactly. So for those that do want or are interested in a taste of growth equities, we are looking for higher quality and cash flow generating companies in this space. 
The second asset class that we're not overly enthused about for 2023 are international equities, including developed markets like Europe and Japan. And this is due to both our economic views and our currency views. We know that the strong dollar wreaked havoc on global currencies for the majority of 2022. And even as the cycle turns, we're cautious on the outlook for adding currency risk because, as Michael just said, interest rates are likely to remain higher in the U.S. than elsewhere. Plus, when global growth slows, the U.S. often acts as a safe haven. But this doesn't necessarily mean international exposure is out of the question. Currency-hedged or partially currency-hedged international strategies may suit investors who would like to diversify their business cycle exposure outside the United States without being forced to take a position on currency performance. Michael and Julia, thank you so much for joining us and sharing these exceptional ideas for the new year. Thanks. See you in the new year. Thanks and happy holidays, everyone. Coming up next, we'll be pausing over the holidays, but don't worry, we're not pausing on our portfolios. We wish all of our listeners a merry, joyous holiday season, and we'll be back bright and early in the new year with a fresh look at 2023 and some stellar special guests. But that's it for today. If you just can't wait until 2023 to see us, reach out to us on LinkedIn with any questions or topics of interest. You can also follow our views at newyorklifeinvestments.com and clicking the Insights tab. Until then, I'm Lauren Goodwin. See you next time. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamats and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I will now read our disclosures from compliance. The S&P growth and value indices measure the returns of groups of stocks allocated along characteristics of growth and value styles. Value is measured along book value, earnings, and sales to price ratios, while growth is measured along sales growth, the ratio of earnings change to price and momentum. The U.S. Aggregate Bond Index is a benchmark index measuring the performance of publicly issued U.S. dollar-denominated investment-grade debt. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as at a specific date, is subject to change, and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There is no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is both a service mark and the common trade name of certain investment advisors affiliated with the New York Life Insurance Company. Securities are distributed by Nylife Distributors, LLC, 30 Hudson Street, New Jersey, 07302, a wholly owned subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company. Nylife Distributors LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.